0: Bienvenidos to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. Tonight's program was produced by Vanessa Bohm, Julieta Kuznir, Vilma V, and Nina Serrano, assisted by Kayla Mulholland. In tonight's program, we include Noticias Sin Fronteras, News from the Americas, a conversation on community organizing against police brutality, a comic view about a critical situation, what to do when stopped by the police, We'll also have a poem by the first Latino Poet Laureate of the United States, Juan Felipe Herrera, as well as a musical tribute for Father's Day by rapper Rico Pavón. We'll include a commentary and roundup by Nina Serrano on the local Latino cultural scene and the music of the visiting tango group Orquesta Victoria. It's an action-packed show. Stay tuned.
1: Buenas noches, this is Vilma V with Noticias Sin Fronteras, news headlines without borders from America Latina for the week ending June 14th. Nicaragua. Thousands of people, mostly farmers and members of indigenous groups, protested over the weekend against the construction of a canal linking the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans in Nicaragua. If completed, the canal will be three times the size of the Panama Canal and larger in both width and depth. The $50 billion canal is said to be constructed by a Chinese company which has never before completed such a large-scale project. Initial site work began last December with completion due in five years. The planned canal cuts through Lake Nicaragua, Central America's largest lake, which is an important source of fresh water for the region. Demonstrators fear the project will have huge environmental costs and displace thousands of people. Congressman Eliseo Nunez has called the Canal Project, quote, a media show to continue generating false hopes of future prosperity among Nicaraguans. Cuba. On Friday, the Obama administration announced that it plans to reach an agreement on the reopening of embassies and the full restoration of diplomatic ties with Cuba by the first week of July The restoration of diplomatic embassies would be the latest phase in the normalization project between the two countries. The U.S. embargo would remain in place, however, since the economic embargo can only be lifted by an act of Congress. Cuba has erected a large flagpole on the front lawn of its interest section in Washington, D.C. However, it appears that the Cuban flag will not be flown until the formal announcement is made. Venezuela. Thomas Shannon, counselor to U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry, met in Haiti last week with Jordado Cabello, widely seen as one of the three top government leaders in Venezuela, after Venezuelan President Nicolás Maduro and Foreign Minister Delcy Rodríguez. The meeting lasted almost two hours and was reportedly mediated by Haitian President Michel Martelly. After the meeting, the foreign minister tweeted, quote, We held a working meeting in Haiti with Tom Shannon and the U.S. delegation en route to normalizing relations. In the past, Cabello had been accused by the U.S. of alleged involvement in drug trafficking and money laundering. Colombia. It was announced last week by the Colombian government that a top commander of the country's second-largest guerrilla group, known as the ELN, had been killed by the Colombian military. José Amin Hernández, known as Marquitos, was killed in the northwest province of Antioquia, according to the Colombian army. President Juan Manuel Santos tweeted his congratulations to the armed forces when the news was released. The ELN has engaged in exploratory talks, but has not entered into peace negotiations with the Colombian government, unlike the country's largest left-wing rebel group known as the FARC. Several times in the past, the FARC has called for the ELN to join in their peace talks with the Colombian government in Havana, Cuba. The negotiations' objective is to end the region's longest-running armed conflict. Brazil. After almost three months of strikes, public school teachers in the Brazilian state of Sao Paulo have finally voted to return to work. Thousands of members of the Union of Official Teachers for the State of Sao Paulo met in the center of the city to cast their vote to return to work. The union represents approximately 180,000 teachers, and the strike began after the state government failed to offer a salary increase. The union was seeking an increase in pay of 75%, but it remains unclear if any salary increase will be forthcoming. Mexico Data from Mexico's National Immigration Institute indicates that over 50,000 immigrants from Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador were deported from Mexico between January and April of this year. Deportations of Guatemalans was up 124%, followed by Salvadorans at 79% and Hondurans at 40% versus the same period last year. Just over 25,000 people were deported during the first three months in 2014. Last week, the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights expressed its concerns over the apparent stepped-up actions reportedly being taken against migrant persons from Central America who are found to be in Mexico. The Mexican government has sent 5,000 federal police to Chiapas, opened more border checkpoints, and has focused on keeping Central American migrants off the northbound freight train known as La Bestia. This has been a summary of some of the latest news headlines from America Latina. I'm Vilma V for Noticias Sin Fronteras and La Raza Chronicles. If you have a news item or feedback that you would like to share, email us at larazachronicles at kpfa.org
2: de mi tierra El Salvador con intención de llegar a Estados Unidos
3: sabía que necesitaría más que valor sabía que a lo mejor quedaba en el camino Son tres fronteras las que tuve que cruzar por tres países anduve indocumentado Por eso dicen que soy tres veces moja
4: This is Nina Serrano with a commentary for La Raza Chronicles on June 16, 2015. A few weeks ago, I reported how the family of Salvadoran poet Roque Dalton had renewed their campaign for justice for Roque. This puts them in the difficult position of maintaining their support for the Salvadoran left while demanding that the murderers of Roque Dalton be brought to justice. Why is this difficult, you might ask? Well, this March, leftist president Salvador Sánchez Serén of the FMLN was elected after much procedural delay instigated by the right-wing opposition. The new Salvadoran president, Salvador Sánchez Serén, just like the former leftist president, Mauricio Funes, still had his photo taken with the known co-assassin of Roque Dalton, Jorge Meléndez who holds a Salvadoran governmental post. The other assassin, Joaquin Villalobos, is currently an active right-winger living in London. The government acclaims and acknowledges Rocky Dalton as the national poet of El Salvador and one of Latin America's foremost poets. Last month, the Dalton family again called on the newly elected government to denounce the murderers. The government is still recalcitrant, because granting this justice would involve unwrapping layers of collusion and political compromise that was necessary to sign peace accords and to form a democratic civilian government. Roque Dalton was killed by his own guerrilla fighter, Compañeros, in 1975 the Dalton family has brought charges to the international court, which echoes the battle of historic memory that is currently being waged all over Latin America. It's been so difficult to get the torturers and human rights violators of earlier bloody regimes charged and condemned. The case of Chile's treacherous Augusto Pinochet being the most prominent, where even the intervention of the English to protect him and the Spanish government to turn him in were involved. Justice for Roque, like the demands for justice of the Chilean Pinochet torture survivors, is to keep our historic memories alive, so we do not need to repeat our disasters. In a recent visit to the San Francisco Bay Area, Roque Dalton's youngest son, filmmaker Jorge Dalton screened the excellent film about Roque Dalton, Fusilemos la Noche, Let's Shoot the Night, at La Peña in Berkeley. The film, created by Austrian filmmaker Tina Leisch, utilizes many of Roque Dalton's poetic techniques as translated into cinema, including humor, which she achieves through animation, and the use of life-size cardboard cutout photos of Roque in the past as her camera fearlessly delves into the present. The movie captures a conversation between Roque's former comrades who describe witnessing how Villa Lobos shot him. The film uses extensive interviews in Europe and Latin America to document Roque Dalton's life, politics, poetry, and loves. Most extraordinary for me was how Tina Leish's feminism supports Roque's belief in gender equality through a moving section on prostitution. It's almost as if the two artists collaborated, although they are of different generations. After the well-attended film showing came a Q&A where Jorge Dalton spoke. He stated that his criticism of the Salvadoran government comes from the left and within the left. Jorge Dalton is currently establishing a filmmaking project in El Salvador working with youth. He hopes to spread the filmmaking movement to all of Central America well, you might have missed the showing of Fusilemos la Noche, Let's Shoot the Night, and The Talk by Jorge Dalton. But they will be back at La Peña in Berkeley this September during a Central American film festival. La Peña in Berkeley is celebrating its 45th anniversary. And as always, La Raza Chronicles will bring you the news. <music> In San Francisco's Mission District, The Mission Cultural Center for Latino Art celebrated the partnership with the University of Santa Barbara Library for the library's acquisition of the joint art collections of Mission Grafica and La Raza Graphics. Representing UC Santa Barbara's California ethnic and multicultural archives known as CIMA, Salvador Guerriena said...
5: This is a special moment not only for me, but I know for all the people in this room. Without a doubt, the clear winners are all the people of California who care about Chicano Latino art, who understand its transformative power in our community and the vital importance of preserving our cultural history and making it accessible for generations to come. The two archival print collections, Mission Grafica and La Raza Graphics, are a hugely important manifestation of those values of inclusivity, of the hopes and the dreams, and the struggles for self-determination and social justice that make it so meaningful to us today. And we pay tribute to the many artists for whom these prints were a labor of love and commitment to their community. So I thank every one of you for joining us this evening as we bring to fruition a pretty important collections project that will both be preserved and made accessible for use by thousands of students, scholars, artists, curators, and members of the community. ¡Que viva el arte.
4: This has been Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles on KPFA, community-powered radio, 94.1 FM.
3: You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. I have on the line with me Cat Brooks. She is the founder of the Anti-Police Tear Project and she's talking to us about some really important happenings. This couldn't be more timely. Thank you so much Cat for being on the line with us. Thanks for having me. So Cat, we right now are reeling. Oakland is reeling for a number of reasons, but one of which is that there was yet another police shooting happened here in Oakland near Lake Merritt. Can you give folks a little context? Last
6: Saturday, not this swim when I passed, but the Saturday prior, around 5 o'clock in the morning, a fire truck was called because a car had been parked on the off-ramp right there at Lake Shore Lake Park in Oakland. The fire truck came. They saw a gun in the passenger seat, in his hand, in the passenger seat, out in the open. And so they called the police. For an hour and a half or so, OPD tried to wake him up. They shot bean bags. They broke out the passenger window. They flashed lights loud noises like the whole thing and he just was not waking up which when we think about that should have signaled to them that there was something wrong right they should have been concerned that this man was dead and there was no movement in the car whatsoever so then they moved in to extract him from the vehicle and in the time that they did that it took about a minute Demarie woke up and was shot and and then was taken to highland hospital later when when he died. And so, you know, a lot of stuff has come out that, you know, he had a criminal record, he had um the past, the car might have been used in a burglary in San Francisco. All of this stuff that is absolutely irrelevant because the police had no idea who was in that car when they when they walked up to it. So his record did not come into play. One of the officers had a taser, was approaching the car with the taser. That officer wasn't in fear for his life. Yet this woman, who they've already started to to refer to her as a rookie, as if that's going to be a justifiable defense for the stealing of this life, shot him, and it was actually within 30 seconds. If you listen to, if you go to We Cop Watch, you can listen to the radio dispatch. And within 30 seconds, they say, we're moving in, preparing to arrest the suspect, K3, which means that they shot her just that fast. And what OPD is asking us to believe is that this man came out of a dead sleep, a dead sleep, mind you,
7: hour and a half
6: of police noises and beanbags, a dead sleep, and reached for his gun was his first reaction. And the community's not buying it.
3: Tell us about what the Anti-Police Terror Project and other community leaders, what are people doing now to call for accountability?
6: Sure. Well, the first thing that APTP did was to send out our own team of investigators and so we're in the process of gathering the people's testimony, which often differs pretty greatly from whatever OPD and state-sponsored media puts out. The second thing that we did was just this past Friday hold a vigil, which turned into a march for DeMaria, and that was for three purposes. One was to, to raise awareness and let city our city government and OPD know that we intend on holding them accountable. Two, to let his family know that there's a the whole community that's supporting him through this process. And three, to provide space for community to mourn and grieve. We had our community speak out. When these things happen, whether people knew the victim or not, it creates trauma and is trigger, a triggering event, particularly for black and brown people who live their entire lives in fear of becoming a victim of police terror themselves or their children becoming a victim of police terror or their husbands or brothers, et cetera. And we have a set of demands, which are, we want an independent investigator appointed, we want the names of the officers released immediately, and we want the video cam, the dash cam footage, body cam footage, and all street surveillance released to the family. They have a right to know what led up to their loved one being stolen from them. So... We will be holding more events and other things to continue the pressure. In the meantime, we have a youcaring account. If you go onto youcaring.com and search Demaria Hogg, you can donate money that will go directly to his family and
3: children that he leaves behind. So this is in a context of a national conversation that's happening that although people here in the Bay Area and in communities across the nation have been talking about the issue of police brutality and policing and monitoring and surveillance that happens in low-income communities, communities of color, right now there's a spotlight that's just shining bright and a lot of people are having these conversations that maybe otherwise wouldn't. So tell us about what's happening in terms of this mayor's convention that's happening in just a few days and how those two things connect in terms of the now spotlight on police misconduct, police brutality, and the role of police in our communities.
6: What the Black Lives Matter movement has really done is shine a national spotlight on the war that's being waged on black lives, and that war has many tentacles, right? One of them is to police terror. Um, The police are the first line of defense for the state. They are who we engage the most as the state attempts to protect its interests, and so they are who goes out the most amounts of brutality, and it's not always murder, right? So, for instance, the Oakland Police Department has been going around the country talking about the great training that they've all received and how they're making all these wonderful changes, and there hadn't up till you know, DeMarie, there hadn't been an officer involved shooting in almost three years. What they're not talking about is the 150 complaints to the community police review board that happened between January and May of just this year, and that's everything from harassment to profiling to being beaten to you know you name it. It spans a wide spectrum. So, the Black Lives Matter movement has taken these incidents out of isolation and forced the public to sort of weave them into what is the daily narrative of, of black life in America. So. This weekend, the 18th through the 20th, the U.S. mayors are having a conference, and they will be in San Francisco for three days. And there are several organizations, so Occupy San Francisco is really who's anchoring it. There are several organizations that will be engaging that conference over the, the few days. And the Anti-Police Terror Project will be doing an action specifically related to police terror uh, and holding them accountable on public safety, what public safety really means at 530 at the Union Square Hilton on O'Farrell Street.
3: What are the kinds of things that are decided at a meeting like this one? What what are things that are at play?
6: Right, so they don't let us in. <laughs> but they talk about you know development, economic development, they're going to talk about public safety, and they're going to be talking about public safety in terms of how different um, cities are responding to the protests that are taking over the country. When Occupy was happening, there were national conference calls between mayors about strategies that they were going to attempt to deploy and sharing you know, what worked, what didn't work, and making agreements about how each city was going to handle it so that they could appear in lockstep with each other and there was wouldn't be one city that that could be singled out as being more brutal than another city. And those are the kinds of conversations that Kwan was engaged in prior to the police brutally raiding the occupied camp in the middle of the night. Folks might remember and then that was followed with a huge march that was incredibly peaceful until police department decided to escalate by tear gassing and being remaining innocent women and children who were in that march. So those are the kinds of things, when we, when we hear these things about U.S. Mayor's Conference, we have to think about and remember and utilize our history to inform what is likely going to be happening the 18th through the 20th in San Francisco.
3: So as you mentioned, this is nothing new. What's new is a spotlight, the public conversation, you know, the people that are completely disconnected from this issue of police brutality, police violence, surveillance, policing in our community, and what it really means. And for a lot of young people, older people, the fear it creates, et cetera, So right now there are people that are thinking about this that maybe haven't before, but for a lot of us that have been feeling it and experiencing police terror for quite a while now, a lot of people feel overwhelmed and they're thinking, well, the whole policing system is one that is pretty oppressive in nature. So it can feel overwhelming to think of what to ask because although some people are pointing to things like body cameras, others are thinking, well, when we have a very corrupt system, is that really going to make a difference? What are... People involved with the anti-police terror project proposing or hoping comes out of changes to our policing system?
6: So for us right now, particularly in this incredible moment, it's all roads in, right? So it's the grassroots strategies, it's also the radical reform strategies. It's everything from body cameras to community police review boards that actually have teeth and are staffed you know, by citizens in the community, all the way down to, what, to creating models, and we're in the process of building a model, creating models for securing our own communities, because the ultimate goal is complete divestment from the system. The system was not set up to take care of black people, was not set up to take care of brown people, right? And as long as the system remains in our day-to-day lives, we're going to continue to experience brutality at its hands. But that's a longer-term solution, as you're responsible to go into, let's say, deep East Oakland and say no police in here ever, because who then is going to hold the very real issues that are also created by white supremacy? It's the same devil. In, in both instances when the police kill someone or, you know, we've got intercommunal violence. And you can't go in and tell those community members to, to kick out all of the police. It doesn't make any sense. So we've got to do all of it at the same time. We've got to figure out harm reduction, right? We have to figure out how to reduce the harm as much as we possibly can, in this current moment. And we do that by shining a lot light on, on the tragedies that are, as they take place, holding cities accountable, changing policies, practices, accountability, all of that. And we do that by building community relationships, developing new models for securing ourselves, having police-free zones or pick-free zones. People call them where people agree not to call the police, but to call you know, these other groups of people studying from other places in the world where those kinds of things have worked. So I hope that makes sense. We're talking about survival as best as we can survive inside of this beast that, that we all live in while visioning and building a new way of engaging with each other and with the state.
3: That's the voice of Kat Brooks. She's the founder of the Anti-Police Terror Project. So Kat, tell us about some of the connections that you all are making between ICE and detention centers and the police brutality that we know has existed since there have been police, since the beginning of the policing system. There's been abuse of that system and there's been violence that has been experienced by people who have less power in the society. So tell us about any connections that you all are making between the different enforcement agencies that exist.
6: Sure. So we call all of that state-sponsored terrorism, and we're clear that that terror is in service to white supremacy that's fueled by capitalism. And so we take it all the way back to the founding of this country, which was built on race-based capitalism, and brutality and enslavement was used in order to maintain a free labor force for profit. Same thing now. It's the exact same thing that's happening now. If you look at the explosion of private prisons, who has their products made for them inside those prisons and who is making up those prisons, right? It's black and brown people. There's black and brown people that have been marginalized to the point of not even being able to breathe and incarcerated and or killed at rates that if they were happening anywhere else in the world, America would be screaming genocide and trying to figure out how to send in boots on the ground or some other sort of aid to help those people. And and all of those things are connected. The systems are about maintaining white supremacy, maintaining capitalism, and they're getting more intensive as people across the world, not just in America, but across the world, start to question and push back against capitalism and its values and what it does in communities, particularly communities of color.
3: So we've been speaking with Kat Brooks. She's the founder of the Anti-Police Terror Project. So Kat, so tell Tell folks how they can plug in best. What are ways that people can connect to your work?
6: Sure. So you can find us on Twitter at APTP Action. You can find us on Facebook, Anti-Police Affair Project. And you can come to our meetings, which are every third Wednesday. We've got one coming up this Wednesday, June 17th, for folks that want to engage at 7.30. It's at Eastside Arts Alliance in East Oakland off the International the 22nd. Thank you, Julieta, very much. Oh,
3: no, thank you.
0: Coming up next, Steps to Avoid Police Brutality by R.J. Aguiar of Latino Rebels, A Comic View of a Tragic Experience.
8: Are you a black or Latino person who is tired of hearing about police brutalizing and shooting unarmed citizens? Have you been wrongfully harassed by the popo? Or are you just one of those people who is still blissfully clueless about how bad the situation actually is for members of our society. Yes, well then we have a game for you. Live from every street in America, it's Know Your Rights. Are you ready to play? Well, too bad because ready or not, here comes Officer Friendly. Hey, stop right there, boy. Uh-oh, looks like you're being stopped. You weren't even doing anything. You were just walking down the street and now it's all up in your business. So what do you do, hotshot? Time starts now. Hey, listen here, boy. Talking to you. What you doing around here? I got me a report of a suspicious individual in the area. You fit the description. Time's up. The correct answer is, calmly ask, am I free to go? And if he says, well, yeah, I mean, technically you are, then you are free to go. That's it. Walk away. Calmly. Keyword calmly. But if you hear, no, no, you are not free to go, congratulations, you've just made it to round two. Investigative detainment. That means that the police have reasonable suspicion to stop you. They have to be able to clearly articulate that reason to you on the spot. Now comes the part where they start asking all of the invasive and leading questions. So what you doing around here? Why are you walking around this neighborhood? That's a nice jacket. And where'd you get that? Didn't steal off of it to nobody, did you? How much have you had to drink, smoke, or snort? Time's up. Answer is, you don't have to answer. If you're being detained or even being arrested, you don't have to answer any questions. You have the right to remain silent. Of course, they only inform you of that when they're taking you into custody, but you have the right no matter what. Should you choose to exercise that right, be sure to say out loud, I wish to remain silent, or I don't have to answer that. Now, if you're detained, the police are allowed to pat you down to make sure that you don't have any weapons on you. But that's it, over the clothes. Unless they have a warrant or unless you give your consent, they're not allowed to search inside your pockets or inside your purse or inside your car or your home. And if you notice that Officer Friendly is getting a little too nosy, make sure to let him know out loud, I do not consent to any further search. Now he may try to tell you, you know that not answering all my questions makes you suspicious. Or, well if you ain't got nothing to hide, then you wouldn't mind me taking a look in your trunk. Yeah, I know, what could be more suspicious than a citizen knowing and exercising their rights? Make sure to keep asking if you're free to go, even if they think it's annoying, especially if they think it's annoying. Also, make sure that you don't give false information or present any false documents, because if they catch you, then that's obstruction of justice, Holmes. Also, make sure you don't argue, you don't curse at them, and you don't resist, and you keep your hands in plain sight. You're allowed to be firm, just stay calm, courteous, and respectful, no matter what he may say. If you don't tell me what I want to know, I'm going to jam my gun right up your little ass. If he starts to act unprofessionally, you can ask for his badge number. Also, remember this. It is perfectly legal for the cops to lie, bluff, and try to intimidate you. One more time for the people in the back. It is perfectly legal for the cops to lie, bluff, and try to intimidate you. So don't fall for any of their games. Keep your mouth shut and let them do their thing. That's it, homie. You're under arrest. Oh, snap. He's decided to arrest you. He doesn't even have a reason, but he's doing it anyway. And he's using excessive force. Time for round three. What do you do? Time starts right now. You have the right to remain silent. Stop resisting. Stop resisting. (sighs) Man, I didn't do all that CrossFit for nothing. Time's up. What do you do? The answer is? Nothing. Seriously, even if it's a wrongful arrest, even if he harasses you, molests you, or if he starts generating more hits than the Beatles, do not Resist that's all the reason needed to claim that he's in fear for his life and then jackhammer your pretty face into the pavement or worse Draw his weapon if you are arrested be sure to keep exercising your right to remain silent and make sure to ask out loud for your attorney Immediately even if you can't afford one they have to provide one for you for free do not say anything without them present. Also, once they process you, you get your phone call. So it's worth knowing someone's number who you can call off the top of your head. Last question, you feel like your rights were violated by the police. What do you do? First off, document as much as you can. Write down anything and everything you can remember. Interview witnesses and get their contact information if you can. Get badge numbers, get patrol car numbers, the agency that the officer is from. Collect every last piece of information that you can get your hands on. If you're injured, make sure that you seek medical attention as soon as possible, but also make sure that you document and photograph your injuries. You can then file a complaint with the agency's Internal Affairs Bureau or Civilian Complaint Board. You can and should also make sure that you contact your local chapter of the ACLU. Congratulations! Now let me tell you what you've won. Well, first off, you get to keep living your life and you don't end up with your name as a headline or a hashtag talking about police brutality. Let's face it, there's nothing wrong with knowing your rights, regardless of who you are. Join the convo on Twitter using the hashtag RebelReport. I'm RJ Aguiar, and I approve this message.
0: La Raza Chronicles congratulates Juan Felipe Herrera on his appointment as Poet Laureate of the United States, the first Latino Poet Laureate in our history.
9: My name is Juan Felipe Herrera. This poem is called Five Directions to My House. One, go back to the green yellow hills with a broken speak of elegance. Two, walk up to the canvas door, the short bed stretched against the clouds. Three, beneath the earth an ant writes, with the grace of a governor. Four, blow, blow, red tail hawk, your hidden sleeve, your desert secrets. 5 You're almost there without a name without a body go now 6 I said 5 said 5 like a guitar says 6 You know uh, I used to play the guitar when I was 16 and uh, i got into the folk song movement and uh, harmonica strapped around my neck and then i used to play it like bob dylan when he first was coming out and so uh, the guitar is kind of uh, inside this poem somewhere and red tail hawks uh, i just love birds of that size and they're so majestic and little birds too and that's about it you know i just started writing and I started with the title, Five Directions, to my house. And then I used numbers. One, two, three, four, five, six. And it begins, go back to the green, yellow hills. So then I went back and let the poem go. And then I finished it up with something about that guitar. And I, I was happy because it has six lines, and yet there's five directions. So I like having a little puzzle in there and to let you uh, figure it out and to let me figure it out too. And that's that's the idea behind poetry. I have to figure it out and maybe the reader has to figure it out too. And maybe between both of us, the poem can really, really take off. And maybe we didn't figure it out, but we gave the poem a little time, a little time of our lives.
3: listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza, and we're about to blow you all away with a song by one of our favorites, uh, an artist that you hear quite a lot on Cronicas, Rico Pavón. So Rico's been holding it down for quite a while. He's the person we go to if we want to hear about justice issues, if we want to hear positive music, music that really bridges a lot of different genres. And something that, something that a lot of us who know Rico personally have been able to experience on a, on a real-life one-to-one level is the love that Rico has for his family. Rico is a family man to the core. He's someone who is super dedicated to his partner and to his children. And he's actually written a song that some of us have gotten a chance to hear. I hate to say it, everyone, get the tissues ready because we all just are so blown away by it. And it's something that the people have been demanding. They say, Rico, this is a beautiful song. It just sums up the the power of men stepping up and really taking joy in raising their family and giving themselves fully to their children and to their partners and it's just it's something that unfortunately we don't have enough of so we have Rico on the line with us to highlight this world premiere of this super exciting beautiful song just in time for Father's Day which is this Sunday Rico thank you so so much for being on the line with us.
7: Thank you for having me.
3: So Rico, tell us the story, a little bit about the song and why you think it's really touched people and impacted them.
7: Oh Man, well, the song really came about organically when my son was about five or six. We were playing a game at night when I was tucking him in and uh, I told him, you know, I love you more than peanut butter loves jelly. And he told me, I love you more than the sea loves the moon. And, you know, we we were going back and forth like that. And uh, he said, Papi, what's your favorite song? And I said, Your Laughter is my favorite song. You know, we, we just said goodnight, you know, and that was it. And I, I went into the living room and, um, and I wrote the song. It was just uh, things that <clears throat> I get choked up talking about it. Uh, things that I, that I wanted him to know, you know that I think we don't share, you know, enough of the story of the joy uh, that that they bring to us, you know? We always hear about the work. We don't hear enough about the joy. So I I wrote the piece for him... Well, you know, I, I say for him because I realized later that it was for him. I talk about some of the qualities that he has as a person. And I realized that he was learning the lyrics himself, and uh, sort of solidified those same characteristics that I was talking about in the song. And I, I realized, oh, I'm really just confirming to him, you know, his own identity and his his own beauty. You know, this this is my first time, of not only as, as a father, but at many many times I feel like. Yeah, my first time as a child, almost. You know, I'm getting to experience things uh, for the first time. When I wrote it, I wasn't thinking about you know my upbringing. I was just writing it as my just as my my own experience. You know, first time father and almost like having a childhood. You know, again for the first time. You know, I was surprised when I started performing it. I think I did it at Camilo's baby shower, probably for the first time. And, you know, I don't know, surprised that it touched people. I, I, thought, I thought it touched me because it's my own personal story, but thank you. That's, that's the story of the song. I could, I could keep talking about my son.
3: So I I was at that baby shower, Camilo Landau and Jessica baby shower. And it was something where the tears we looked around, there was not a dry (laughs) eye in the house. And I, I think the part of that reason it was powerful and beautiful lyrically and musically for a lot of reasons, but I think that part of what touched a lot of us is that it's so rare to see a man be so vulnerable and show his love and dedication to his family in such a real, sincere, just, I mean, there's no one that could hear this song and not feel how much you love your family. And that is a beautiful thing that, unfortunately, um, we don't get to see enough from. Sometimes we do get to see that from mothers, but we don't hear that enough from fathers. So um, right now Father's Day is around the corner and it's a time for a lot of us to really reflect back on our own families and maybe some of childhood memories that we wish we would have had or also think about the future that we want for children in general and what kind of families do we want to be created and what do we want to aspire for in terms of family and legacy and generations to come. So this is a song that now is available for folks to to share with people, so tell us a little bit about that.
7: You know, in the independent music, so you know they'll be able to go to, to the website and spread it how how they wish. And what I want to make sure I say is, you know, I was expressing the, my love and my deti- the dedication that I that I have for my family. But I wouldn't I wouldn't be the the man that I am, you know, if it wasn't for my mother who raised me. So, so I have to say that and. The, the examples that I've gotten from my community, you know, from from uh, my, my my brothers and you know my friends, just the people in the community, you know, who have uh, shown me just by their own example, you know, how to be. So I have to say that, you know, I say it's a a personal story, but I, you know, hey, I can't take I can't take so much credit. Um, I, I had many many fathers. And I'm still learning.
3: Enrico Pavón, as a community figure and leader, it's so beautiful to have you continue that example and be there because this song, in many ways, serves as a a book, uh, a book on parenting, which is how do you open up your heart and how do you give? And so that's a beautiful legacy to leave to current parents and future parents. So with that, is there anything else you'd like to add before we play this track for folks? I
7: just want to say Happy Father's Day. Honor the living. Reach out to the people who contributed to who you are. Uh, reach out now and don't wait for holiday. Don't wait for a special day. And like I say in the song, every day is Father's Day. If you're doing it right, every day is Father's Day. The gifts and the work. <laughs> so enjoy it. Father's to be, it's a blast. Don't let anyone tell you differently. And it goes by in a flash. So much love and thank you so much.
3: And folks can find out more about Rico Pavon's Upcoming events about where he'll be performing, about his projects and also past projects. He has some really wonderful CDs you can check out, and you can find all that at Oh, uh, So it's rico, R I C O P A B O N.com. Thank you so much, Rico. I want
9: to dedicate this,
2: dedicate this. to my firstborn. To all the fathers out there that remember that feeling Of holding your baby for the first time Early one morning as I opened my eyes, your mommy kissed me with a smile and said she had a surprise, her skin a glow like the sunshine, it was like I was seeing her for the very first time, the way her beauty made my heart climb. she said excitedly but quietly, Bobby are you ready, cause we are so in love that love is growing in my belly, huh. and that love that she spoke of was you, our first baby born, more than just a dream come true, and only nine months of waiting, amazing how much you grew, and me and mommy too, cause all of this was something new, it was just us two, and now our family's expanding, we planned birth and you came like an angel from heaven descended to earth and I felt my chest burst a love I never knew existed a miracle in flesh yes a natural mystic I drowned in tears of joy just look at my baby boy and when you turned your head cause you recognized the sound of my voice with your eyes open wide locked on mine I was awed I realized this was the closest I'd ever been to seeing God it's hard to believe that your sweet old soul chose me I'm honored to be your poppy. now every day is father's day your smile is my my son my son Come on I'm blessed Just to see you shine You shine I I dedicate my life My life Your laughter is my favorite song Yeah And I remember staring at you amazement as you slept and it was no feeling better than when you were sleeping on my chest and when you first said bobby better believe that i wept and i still remember how i felt when you took your very first steps yes there's so many memories my heart will not forget and no regrets every day you make me feel so blessed but you grow too fast i'd slow down time if it were up to me yet i'm so proud of the young man you're growing up to be you're sweet sensitive funny strong kind and loyal and any injustice makes your blood boil boy i wouldn't change you for the world you the beat of my heart and son your laughter is my favorite song Perfect work of art, so I promise to make you smile and just to let you be a child to guide, protect, and respect, and always go the extra mile. And even when I'm tired, I'm never tired of you. My first baby born, more than just a dream come true. Now, every day is Father's Day. Your smile is my sun, my son, your love is my breath. My your laughter is my favorite song. Now, every day is Father's Day. Come on, I'm blessed. Just to- My firstborn, I wrote for the fathers Who don't just plant seeds and leave But they feed and raise them like farmers Until they fully flowered I'm talking fathers with sons and daughters Who teach them how to respect themselves now So that they feel empowered And so they feel perfect The way that they are Fathers who reach out for their kids And teach them to reach for the stars All of the poppies at the playgrounds And the single dads who are putting it down And the fathers who grew up without Their own fathers around Man, we freestyle With no example to follow But it feels great to break the chains And build a better tomorrow For all the diapers we change Until they finally potty trained And the late nights holding them while they cry through, they grow in pains For every band-aid scrape and sprain For every bedtime story that you ever told them Even though you were completely drained It is for you that I pen this dedication Much love and appreciation And you deserve a vacation Cause every day is Father's Day Your smile is my son My son Your love is my praise Your laughter is my favorite song Now every day is Father's Day Come on, i blessed Just to see you shine Just to see you shine Like time is moving slow So you stumble across that old photo That shows how much they've grown And when the past comes flashing back You feel sad That those days are long gone When all they wanted was dad So tuck them in at night Hold them tight Never let them out of your sight Teach them to do what's right And not what other people might Let them know that the most important things Don't have a price And your presence is the only gift To carry with them all their life Come on, I'm blessed Your smile is my It's Father's Day. Come on, I'm
10: blessed.
3: You're listening to la raza chronicles crónicas de la raza we're going to talk a little bit about the beautiful music you've just heard which is actually coming from a 12-piece tango orchestra from buenos aires and i'm sure that people are already really getting a feel for the music because with 12-piece orchestra it's um, pretty powerful i have on the line with me composer and lyricist nebora Simkovich, Thank you so much, Débora, for being on the line with us. Débora, we just heard one of the tracks off this CD, which is music that people are going to be able to see live. A group yes. from Buenos Aires is coming all the way to the Bay Area. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what people just heard? We
10: we heard La Media Cuadra Inmortal, which is the title to the CD. We're I was born, and people ask me why immortal, and on one of my trips back to Buenos Aires, I decided to just go back to my old neighborhood of Crespo, and I was amazed to find that the house was still there, and from that house, which is right in the middle of the block, all the way to the corner, that uh, segment, that half a block, was exactly the same, and that's why it was something magical, Because after all these years, I didn't expect to find this in the houses, even that the other half had changed and the block across the street had changed. So I thought, this is like in a time warp. And I was so struck by this, that I first thought I was going to write a short story about it, but because I'm a lyricist and a composer, although I can also be a short story writer, but for some reason, things flow more in the form of the music and the lyrics. Next thing I knew, I had a tango, La Media cuadra Inmortal, the immortal half block. So that's La Media Cuadre mortal, And I make references to the things in the neighborhood that I used to see that used to happen to me and what it was like to be born on that block in the neighborhood of Tisha which is essentially a Jewish neighborhood, and very much so at the time I was born it has changed over the years. It has evolved, and of course, there are all the other immigrant groups that have arrived in Argentina, which is a country that so was so enriched by the presence of immigrants. But Bicentenario, essentially, you know, is always known as a Jewish neighborhood. And so, my tango, La Medagüeña Mortal talks about that.
3: We're speaking to Deborah Simkovic. She's the lyricist and composer for this beautiful orchestra, tango orchestra, that's coming to the bay. So why don't you tell us about this tango orchestra that is going to make its West Coast premiere in just a few days.
10: Orchestra of 12 pieces will the same my music and will be coming to the bay area to present the CD, the Immortal Have Lost, La Media Quadre Immortal. So there are or city. There is San Francisco, Berkeley, San Anselmo, Palo Alto. There is a website where people can get all the information, and it's called www.dicha-crespo-productions. And what I ask from the listeners is to realize that in Argentine accent, you say dicha, when other Spanish speakers would say dilla. So it's a double L. And so it's via Com first concert is going to be in Berkeley, Wednesday the 24th, in and Challenge. And then the next day, Thursday, is going to be June 26th at the Mission Cultural Center in San Francisco. Next day, it's going to be Friday 26th uh, in San Francisco at Marine Memorial Theater, close to union. Uh, then Saturday the 27th will be in San Anselmo playhouse in Marine, and then Sunday, June 28th, will be at the Palo Alto JCC in the city of Palo
3: Alto. All right, and also we want to remind people that this is in commemoration of the 80th anniversary of the passing of tango icon Carlos Gardel, who most people, if they know tango, they know him. So we are now going to do a ticket giveaway for the Orquesta Victoria. As you all know, it is a 12-piece tango orchestra direct from Buenos Aires, Argentina. And the Bay Area Tours June 23rd through the 28th. And there will be shows in San Francisco and Berkeley and San Anselmo and Palo Alto. And it's going to be an opportunity to hear, learn more about tango and hear some new tangos and also hear some classics by carlos gardel so we are going to give away a pair of tickets and the pair of tickets will be for the june 24th show which is at freight and salvage 2020 addison street in berkeley and we're going to give a pair of tickets to our seventh caller so please call 510-848-4425 that's 510-848-4425 and we're going to leave you with this tango.
9: Ten esta esquina, tanto asfalto, las calles de tierra de adentro se va. De cuando era chico, de pelota y De calles de tierra, ya no te acordás Son las costumbres que pronto dejaste Son las costumbres que pronto se van De la manera que el mundo va andando Esas costumbres muy pronto se van Por ella en la calle va a dejar al aire Parece que es agua y en la piel va a entrar
0: You've been listening to La Raza Chronicles Crónicas de la Raza on KPFA 94.1 FM community-powered radio. If you'd like to listen to this program again, just search for La Raza Chronicles on soundcloud.com. Stay tuned next Tuesday at 7 p.m., for more of La Raza Chronicles. Hasta la próxima. Buenas noches. You've been listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza on KPFA 94.1 FM, community-powered radio. If you'd like to listen to this program again, just search for La Raza Chronicles on soundcloud.com. Stay tuned next Tuesday at 7 p.m. for more of La Raza Chronicles. Hasta la próxima. Buenas noches.